Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Let It Roll, We Dig Tales from the Tour Bus, where the podcast about how and why popular music happens takes a break to talk about our favorite animated music history show from Mike Judge with hosts Nate Wilcox and Justin Bankston. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Facebook, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at LetItRollCast. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to all the other great Pantheon podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. This week, Nate and Justin talk about the fourth episode of the funk season of Tales from the Tour Bus, featuring Bootsy Collins, the mighty funk bass player for both George Clinton's P-Funk and James Brown's JBs. Tales from the Tour Bus can be viewed on Amazon.com if you subscribe to Cinemax. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. It's time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and joining me for a special We Dig Tales from the Tour Bus episode, Justin Bankston. Welcome. Hello. Hello, hello. And tonight, Bootsy Collins, Season 2, Episode 4. It's pretty epic. My name is Bootsy, baby. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And pretty solid. I mean, we talked about the uh, order of the episodes and how it would have been nice to have the George Clinton and the Bootsy Collins episodes together because, boy, are they intertwined. Absolutely. It's It's like the whole story is so amazing the way that Bootsy and company just sort of filtered through all of these just, you know, massively epic parts of, of 20th century music. Yeah. I mean, Bootsy and, and his brothers, the, the JBs, although they were known by various other bands at various points in time. And now I'm blanking on all the other, they were the, now I'm blanking on all the other names. Ack. But, uh, they they absolutely rejuve not rejuvenated James Brown. That's the thing about James Brown bringing in the JBs, which which they talk about this. He he used it as a labor labor breaking method. You know he's 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 got trouble with the Maceo uh, Parker version of the band, and he brings in Bootsy and Company from the wine bar in Cincinnati, Ohio, who have no idea that James has been watching them and and knows that they're ready to step in. Brings him in at the absolute peak of his powers when he's 
perfecting funk and at the perfect time for them to take it to that next level. And it's one of the most, it's right up there with Ozzy hiring Randy Rhodes. It's beyond that, but it's comparable to that in that, you know, you've got an artist at the peak of the cutting or the cutting edge brings in a new crew to take it even further forward. It's, it's amazing. And then, and then Bootsy jumping ship and hooking up with George Clinton and P funk and just becoming absolutely essential parts of that arsenal. But We'll get to all that as we review the episode. So, basically, structurally, pretty straightforward. Um, I think it starts off with the the James Brown and the JBs thing, but then it backtracks and and just tells the story of their childhood and and it's it's uh, it's pretty sweet actually. The the story of Bootsy and his big brother Catfish, who who is effectively a father figure for him and and as their fathers abandoned him and and Bootsy's just got his big eyes open and his big ears open when his big brother starts playing guitar and starts a band and Bootsy's just lapping it up and, and secretly playing in the closet and 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 gets busted the the brotherly beatdown segment uh, I hope that did that offend your sensibilities oh no that that would have been a mild day in my house in yes the indeed indeed i had i had five big brothers myself and yeah i remember once i touched my big brother's guitar and broke his g-string and uh yes the brotherly beatdown was in full effect for that and unlike bootsy i couldn't play so you know (laughs) but the story of of bootsy uh announcing you know he looks like he's about 12 in the in the drawings it's hard to tell that that you know when the, his brother's bass player quits and he announces you know get me four bass strings and i can play and then strings a guitar with four bass strings and sure enough he does it that's um i guess that's what talent is all about absolutely yeah the whole brother brother's band story is so terrific uh you know, he's just watching his brother and idolizing him and then just manages to work his way into his brother's band. And then they basically stick together, which isn't really explicitly laid out in the episode, but everywhere that Bootsy is, that he's getting all these accolades for being, Catfish is there too. All yeah. the way, like, they're in James Brown's band together, they're in Funkadelic together, they're in Bootsy's rubber band together, and Catfish even, even plays on Groove is in the Heart crying out loud yeah with delight in the in the early 90s and and frankie cash waddy the drummer is there for much of that time as well yeah absolutely and so you know it's it's a tight crew and and this episode i'm sort of jumping ahead of myself but this episode is there's a rise and a fall and bootsy uh, overindulges and, and pays the price but unlike so many other episodes in this series it is not depressing because bootsy beats it and and has an extended ride off into the sunset and as far as we know he had to retire from stage performing this year but he's still active in the studio and has been active playing with you know he's basically been a professor emeritus of funk all around the world for the last 20 years and so uh this is i'd I'd vote this is the least depressing episode of definitely this season maybe the whole series I agree 100%, and I really enjoyed it for that reason, because even, you know, they, they, they almost manufacture the the low point a little bit, because, uh, yeah, he, you know, 
runs out of steam and doesn't want to, you know, front a gigantic, you know, auditorium filling band anymore. Uh, and so he goes home and gets in a motorcycle wreck and whatever, but like at no point is, is it taken away from him the way it is uh, in so many of these other stories. Yeah, I mean, the shingles, the case of shingles that, that horrifies Cash Waddy when he finds Bootsy in his mom's basement does seem pretty miserable. I mean, it, it, it seems pretty clear that Bootsy truly did not want to be a front man and, and have the responsibility of front a band, and that kind of ate him up. But, like, he he uses James Brown's The One as, as the basis for his whole life philosophy, and, and he realizes he wants to get back to playing with a band and not being a front man, does it, problem solved i'm sure it's more complicated than that and that bootsy suffered as we all have in life but um you know compared to rick james and so these other terminal cases george jones johnny paycheck uh, we're going to get to james brown's epic tragedy so you know bootsy definitely keeps it on the sunny side as it were but yeah so structurally basically other than the the bit at the beginning about bootsy and the jb's getting the call up with James Brown. It's straight chronological, starting his childhood in Cincinnati, Ohio, you know, getting recruited by James Brown, playing with James Brown, getting fired by James Brown, hired by George Clinton, the Funkadelic years, the superstar years, and then and then off. It's got a good crew of, of interviewees. They got lots of bootsy access, which is top notch. Although did you notice the Mike Judge monologue at the beginning? They really lay it on thick about how unreliable a narrator Bootsy is. And I assume that's because of the heavy LSD use, but I don't get that feeling that, that Bootsy's distorting the story. Yeah. I think everything I hear Bootsy say in this episode sort of tracks as, you know, credible slash reasonable, believable. Yeah, with some perspective on it. Another interview, he's, for the most part, we've seen all these guys in the George Clinton episode, or we'll see him again in the James Brown episode. you got Bootsy himself. You've got uh, Cash Waddy, the drummer that he came up with and played with James Brown. We saw him in the George Clinton episode. We've got Alan Leeds, who is the Anglo uh, tour manager for James Brown. This is his debut on the series, but he'll be back for James Brown. We've got Dr. Scott Brown, scholar of the funk, which is a position... Uh, that that I'm sure has is hard earned, but he's he's new. Uh, and then mm-hmm. Tom Vickers is back, the P Funk Minister of Information that, that George Clinton poached from Rolling Stone. George Clinton's back, and Stozo the Clown is back. So it's a pretty tight little crew. Just a couple of outside commentators. Any thoughts on the interviewees for this episode? I enjoyed I enjoyed them all. I mean, Cash Waddy is amazing, and he it's so great because he's there for all of it, and so he his counterpoint to Bootsy is terrific because he's, you know, he's the drummer. He was sitting back there watching it all happen. And he's also just got an incredibly killer low key sense of humor. That is just a uh, really awesome. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that those, you know, a bassist and a drummer have a really close bond in a band and the way those guys, you know, it's beyond tight. It's telepathic with those two guys. And, and, not inventors of funk, but definitely advanced the funk. And uh, so, yeah, Cash Waddy has plenty of insights. And, and 
Um, but you know, it's just too bad we couldn't hear from Catfish as well. Um, Indeed. But then uh, the songs, and again, I feel like that the country episodes were a little bit better able to to feature the songs than the funk episodes have been. I've noticed that the funk episodes they tend to use a lot of the music in sort of a background capacity, and they they reference Bootsy's Big Ballad, but they don't use the big ballads the way they did uh, in the country episodes but i think it's just the nature of the beast that funk is tends to be up tempo party music and and you know it's hard to be country for the heartbreak ballad so you got uh start out with stretching out in a rubber band which is you know basically the theme song of bootsy's rubber band his solo vehicle that george clinton pushed him into to forming then you've got at least two songs with james brown cold sweat and sex machine which are two of the epic tracks of american music in the 20th century then then there's a what seems to be a bass break and i couldn't identify the song so i'd I'd love to hear from anybody listening if you know if you know what live tracks or whatever they were pulling the bass uh bass solo from there's some also some p-funk stuff i couldn't identify then you got bootsilla which is another bootsy's rubber band track and hollywood squares which is another bootsy's track and I sort of feel like that Bootsy's best work is not as a frontman. I, I kind of agree with Bootsy. I mean, Bootsy's rubber band is the kind of thing where I was actually impressed that they had three solid albums, and they are solid, hard hitting funk. But compared with the absolutely apocal stuff he was doing with James Brown, and then the five-star stuff he was doing with George Clinton. I mean, the singing and songwriting just isn't there to the extent that it is on those P-Funk masterpieces that he was playing at the same time that he was doing. Uh, So I feel like the music kind of suffers from the fact that they want to feature Bootsy's band over his work as a sideman. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I, I think there's definitely a bigger gap between the James Brown stuff and the rubber band. The rubber band sounds all very similar to Funkadelic to me. Uh, oh yeah, you know, there's there's not just a huge difference in in. I mean, definitely George Clinton has an edge like on the songwriting, uh, and you know Parliament has multiple great lead singers. But you know the general vibe and the general you know ass movement and party is coming pretty strong out of the rubber band you know, really similarly to what you get from Funkadelic. Absolutely. I mean, you get the feeling that like these tracks, you know, were probably laid down and then they decide which project they're going to assign them to. I mean, you know, you get that feeling. They might've just done these in dedicated sessions. Oh, we're going to cut Bootsy's album now and, and how all the tracks ready. But yeah, there's definitely, especially instrumental backing could be interchangeable with any of the P-Funk classics from that era. So it's question time. What's your favorite part right. of the episode? You know, I think my my very favorite part, and it's going to sound silly maybe, but Bootsy's laugh, every time he laughs during the episode, it is just an incredible delight. And it makes it's just like, it's infectious and it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, Bootsy's just one of these lovable people. And he's a persona that I've been familiar with since, you know, my early teen years. And he's just gotten cooler over the years. He's never, there's never been a Bootsy backlash in my world. Indeed. So what was your favorite favorite part? 
Well, my favorite part had to be when they're sassing James Brown, man. When James Brown's coming at him with the the you know boot camp drill sergeant stuff, and they're just frying on acid and laughing in his face. It's uh, it's just an epic generational clash. And and for once, I'm on the side of the the druggy hippies instead of the older generation. But it's just you know, if anybody deserved that, it was James Brown all the way. Indeed, and that that whole sequence of the band versus James is just it is just solid gold. Yeah, and I think I think when James when Bootsy has the hallucination that James is turning purple and that lava is pouring out of his face, it's it's just epic. <laughs> and he doesn't really even seem scared, you know, he's just freaking out on it without being freaked out by it. You know, I mean James Brown was so terrifying to so many people, but uh Bootsy and company were not intimidated at all. So, so I just, I just love it. Like, I think it was, it was either Tom Vickers or Alan, I think it was Alan Leeds that referred to the Collins brothers as the drug culture on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Here they come. Yeah. And, and, and when they dosed James Brown, actually, I think of all the confrontations with James Brown, it's when James hogs, accidentally hogs all the acid and drinks it all himself and then starts doing the dance that he calls the moon. And he's just standing there on stage for 15 minutes, stock still with his hands in a circle above his head. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. I just, my heart stopped when in that whole scene where they're like, oh my God, they're dosing James Brown. Like James Brown, they're yeah. dosing him, and they're it, they're just letting it happen. <laughs> and the the whole animation of that the whole part is just perfect, especially when like James is just finishing the last little sip of this. <laughs> He's just slurping the bottom, and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's it's absolutely classic, and and you know they're going to flesh James Brown out in the two parts about him, but. In this episode, he functions as just a foil for Bootsy and a musical mentor. I mean, they acknowledge, you know, his greatness and that he taught him a lot. But as a character, he is totally one-dimensional, just the hard-ass authority figure that they can laugh at because he's ridiculous. Yeah. It was like, it was great to hear all about the one and, you know... You know, I've heard about it my whole life, this idea from the the James Brown one, and then just getting to see that sort of James to Bootsy to George, and then George making, like, as Bootsy says, like a whole concept out of it, and like calling it out in his own songs, talking about the one in the songs. Yeah, over and over again. And I think it really highlights the difference between James Brown and George Clinton in that... You know, James Brown was obviously a visionary musically, but was not a storyteller or a conceptualist in the same way that George Clinton was. I mean, George Clinton was creating this narrative and like we talked about in the George Clinton episode, dropping concept album after concept album that even if, you know, it's like all concept albums for the most part kind of fall apart on close examination, but George Clinton is able with just a few broad strokes to get a theme going across an album. And he definitely wove the one into his mythology. And, and uh, so that, that was kind of fascinating to me to think about the differences 
between James Brown and George Clinton insofar as Clinton being a myth maker and sort of a self-conscious storyteller and James Brown just being mythic. Yeah. yeah I so, love the line too, where he, for when he introduces the one to Boots and he's like, you guys have got the baddest band in the land, but you just can't play though. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, okay, Mr. Brown. yeah some of those quotes i mean and it must have been mystifying you know like y'all the baddest motherfuckers in the world but y'all can't play for shit you know and like what (laughs) and uh although that's a miss you know brown didn't cuss so i and i they probably didn't have him cussing either but but so i want to i want to know that for the record that james brown was not a cursor so the songs here any 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 songs stand out for you for me like like you said, it's a little hard. They don't really jump out as much, but I kind of, because as you said, it's sort of the theme. For me, I enjoyed stretching out in a rubber band in the context uh, context of this episode because it's really kind of, you know, the thesis statement of Bootsy's band and his thing. And so I really, that that's my favorite tune. Yeah, hard to argue with that. I, I, I got to go with, with probably Sex Machine just because it's, such a pinnacle of human achievement in my world that even if it's not central to this episode, I just, to me, nothing compares to that stuff. Um, and it's just, you know, that's a track that I have listened to so many times. I've played along with and, and tried to understand and, and just cannot capture it all. You know, I mean, it's, just such an amazing piece of work to this day and and the way the whole band becomes one rhythm section and every piece fits together so seamlessly and yet every piece is also doing something you don't expect and and just never can get the timing down and it's it's just masterful so you know anytime i'm hearing james brown the jb's from that magical 18 months that's going to be my favorite so, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that that song is by far the most important, like, out in the world. Like, it's, it's you know, mountainous. Yeah. And then I guess they did play probably a little bit of Groove is in the Heart, or did they? If they did, it was the tiniest bit. Yeah, tiniest bit. And so for I think for Gen Xers, especially Gen Xers who had MTV around the turn of the 80s to the 90s, that was, that was a big song. And... and ended up being sort of historically important as a, as a signpost for the electronic dance movement. And it's funny that yeah. George Clinton uh, was, you know, calling Bootsy out for betraying the funk and, and working on the disco side of the street. That funk versus disco thing is one of these conflicts that you don't often think about, but it's very real. Yeah, and it dies hard, evidently. Yeah, no doubt. Although Bootsy's able to straddle, straddle the fences. So... Um, what was the funniest part of the episode? Have we already covered it, or there's plenty of laughs in this thing? There, there, there are. I mean, I think all the funniest parts are during the James Brown stuff, and I think I've, the very funniest parts are when they're. I think it's Cash Waddy who's doing the funniest James Brown impersonation, but when when he's like doing the sort of mumbly, can't really understand it, like James Brown, you know, stick. It's just screamingly hilarious. Yeah, it's it's definitely the the laughs around the James Brown parts are rich and extensive. And the rest of it, it's funny, like the George Clinton stuff, as funny as the Parliament episode was, you know, there's not a lot of laughs in the in the Clinton Bootsy 
relationship in this episode. And I guess it's just like when you got the James Brown relationship, classic foil. I mean, James Brown just sets him up sets himself up as such a straight man for their jokes because he's such a tyrant and and he's oblivious to their drug taking. So he's just you know, as much as they're missing the one when they first get there, he's completely missing, you know, the sixties awakening that's happening before his eyes and just just cannot cannot even fathom what's going on. Um yeah. And I sort of already jumped on this, but but what was the saddest part of this episode to you? Well, I mean, obviously, like there's the sort of low point in the episode, the natural dip, uh, which was, you know, it just wasn't all that sad because it didn't last that long. And it didn't seem nearly as dire as the ones in so many of the other episodes. You know, I was a little sad, you know, about Catfish because he just, you know, you hear his name a couple times and you get to see him early on when he's getting Bootsy going. Uh, but then just knowing that he was actually involved in every single thing that, that they talked about in this episode and that you, that we don't get to hear from him that he's not with us anymore. That part was, that part bummed me out a little bit. Yeah. I would like to have, and, and I know that they did because they didn't have time, but I would like to have heard a little bit more about catfish. And I mean, he lived, I think he passed away about 10 years ago, so about 29, 20, 2009, 2010, something like that. So he, it's not somebody you know that we lost at a terribly young age, but I know that I'm sure it's just a devastating loss for Bootsy and, and a hard. I think the hardest part of aging is, is losing your friends and family. And so, yeah, it's, that's, that's a sad note. But compared to like the Rick James two-parter where one part is all the upswing and then the second part is – not entirely downbeat, but it's a relentless ass whipping. And and you know, by the time Rick James passes at the end of the episode, it's it's sad and it's hard. And I was just real thankful to Bootsy for keeping his shit together and staying healthy and productive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's indeed, like, absolutely. Yeah, it's like it's nice when nice guys finish first because you know he's he's you know for thirty years now he's had elder statesman status and just been a beloved figure in American pop culture and around the world. So I love yep. it. Loving it. And uh, do we like the main character? Yeah. I mean, what's not to like? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's no, there's no wife beating, there's no gunplay, there's no stealing, you know, it's just a good guy with a lot of talent and accomplishing great things. So, yeah. What's not to and like? The fact that he keeps his guitar player and his drummer with him the whole time tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, yeah, that kind of loyalty is 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 everything, and especially when you're working with somebody like James Brown, who was so expert at controlling people and often would set band members against each other, especially drummers and the fact that he wasn't able to pull Cash Waddy away from the Collins brothers or pull any of his usual bullshit on them, it's its very inspiring. And then the way they were absorbed into the P-Funk family, which was a crazy family, but not – and a dysfunctional family, but not as dysfunctional as some of these bands. You know, it, it's its yeah. compared to a lot of these big orchestras, you don't hear about, you know, George Clinton screwing people over uh, – like say Captain Beefheart did or James Brown. So 
you know, all good guys coming to a good ending in this in that episode. So we definitely we love we love Bootsy. So recommended listening. Um, God, there's so much. Oh yeah, no doubt. And more keeps coming out. I mean, they 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 came out a couple years ago with a, an album that the JBs recorded right before they became the JBs, which is pretty fun to listen to. But basically, anything that James Brown laid down with the J, JBs in that year and a half to year period where they were together definitely worth getting and it's the james brown discography is such a hairball because you know he had this weird deal with king records and then with polydor and wasn't thinking in terms of albums necessarily or his albums at the came out at the time or you know it, it'd be like a classic single with the b-side which would usually be the extended you know version of the song Plus some random stuff that he recorded three years earlier, and and just it, it's it's the kind of thing that if you're really going to get anal retentive about it, you need to get some discography books and really sit down and make your own playlist. Because because the to me the best way to listen to the James Brown stuff is the box sets. But then again, you've got to pick out if you're just trying to hear the JBs. It's it's a little bit complicated. But you know you got I'm just going to run some of the classic tracks they recorded with J, James yep. Brown. Uh, Sex Machine, Bewildered, Super Bad, Soul Power, Talking Loud and Saying Nothing, Love Power Peace, The Grunt. These are the JBs. I mean, those those are some extremely notable tracks. But like I said, everything uh, that they played with James Brown is 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 not just well worth hearing. It's an absolute must listen. Um, Absolutely. And as you said, it's it's kind of frustrating because it's there's not like that I could find a studio album you could point to that's front to back James with the JBs playing, you know, nine or 11 songs all together. It's like, everything is sort of a hodgepodge, like the best songs with, with the JBs lineup are on maybe double albums that have all kinds of other stuff with the other previous band on it. And they work as records, but, but if you're trying to like zoom in on this, it's just, it, it's maddening. Yeah, it's it's absolutely mad, and particularly because you know James's music and his persona were so overwhelming. I mean, even with a talented, red hot band like the JBs, you know, of young bloods that are absolutely on the cutting edge, it's he molds them to his vision so relentlessly that you know I certainly am not qualified. If you play me two James Brown tracks from you know one from '68, one from '70, '71, I'm not going to be able to tell you which one is Cash Waddy on the drums and which one is Clyde Stubblefield or anything like that. So yeah, me neither. It, it's it's and there are people who've devoted you know their, their whole listening lives to this stuff and it's well worth it, but it's not my specialty. Then like uh, I think the P Funk stuff we covered on the George Clinton episode, but. Bootsy, basically everything after 1972, Bootsy and the, and the Collins brothers are on, especially, you know, Parliament's Up for the Downstroke, Mothership Connection, Funk and Telly versus the Placebo Syndrome. I mean, Funkadelic Stand on the Verge of Getting It On. I mean, just the classic concept albums. Bootsy is absolutely in- integral uh, to George Clinton's musical vision on all those. And then the first three Bootsy's Rubber Band albums are all solid, stretched out in Bootsy's Rubber Band. Ah, uh, the name is Bootsy Baby and Bootsy Player of the Year, which for some reason that one took me a little bit to track down. Um, uh, I hadn't checked Spotify, but I, they didn't have it on Google Play, so I had to buy it and upload it there. And then you had yeah, a couple they didn't of have other it on Spotify. 
They didn't. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah. So that 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 was annoying, but you can still find it on CD and upload it to Google Play. And then you had a couple of tracks from the the. There's like a 20 year period where Bootsy's a guest star on all kinds of places. I'm not the big Keith Richards solo records fan, but he's on that with delight. Yeah. You know, Groove is in the heart. The singles classic, but but you had a couple you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I'm a big Bill Laswell fan, and he just has done all kinds of insane stuff. But one of his sort of bigger projects is called Praxis. And the first Praxis record, which is called Transmutation, uh, has got Bootsy as the bass player and sometimes vocalists on it. And it's it's nothing, it's, it's not nearly accessible like this other music we're talking about. But if you like just bizarro, weird stuff, uh, that's of a very high quality. The Praxis album, Transmutation, is just absolutely worth checking out. And it's like a, a window into like Bootsy's willingness to just do whatever, you know. Uh, and, and I really like that about it. And then also I think everybody should watch the Fatboy Slim video, Weapon of Choice, Uh because it's an incredible video featuring Christopher Walken. And it's uh, also another great Bootsy, Bizarro World collaboration. Yeah, Bootsy seems like the kind of person who's, A, so talented, he can, you know, if he can hear it, he can play it. He's he's going to have ideas, and he's got his own sound, so he can, you know, has something to contribute. And he's beloved so he's been invited to be on just this amazing wide range of things i think i could spend quite a bit of time just down the bootsy solo or you know guest spot rabbit hole so uh, for sure put on my list to do so we we discussed a little bit but the this episode obviously serves as a bridge between the uh, season open with george clinton and then the upcoming two-parter with james brown any thoughts? I mean, they pretty much had to put it right here where they did in this season's flow. Yeah, I, I'm definitely excited about to talk about the James Brown two-parter uh, because, man, there's a lot going on in there. And it's really nice to get this sort of set up here uh, with the sort of lighter side of the of the James Brown situation and his interactions with, you know, the Cincinnati boys. Uh it's it's definitely like a nice mellow sort of palate cleanser before you dive into the James Brown episodes. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I guess they could have put the Morris Day episode before this one, but you know, I don't know. I, I like the way they did it with because the Morris Day and the Rick James episodes kind of all are tied together by Prince. And yeah. and and the James Brown and George Clinton episodes have the Bootsy connection. So, um, you know, yeah, no arguments about where they place it. Like we said, the the uh, I'm still not 100 percent sold on having the the Rick James episodes between the Clinton and Bootsy, but I can't figure out a better way to lay out the cards than they did. So I can't complain there. And then I did want to bring up one note that we forgot to bring up on the Rick James episode last time, and that was the Sly Stone appearance in there. And, you know, if anybody is the second, I don't want to say second banana, but if anybody is the number two man in funk history, it's Sly Stone. Like James Brown is obviously the one, but Sly Stone absolutely innovated and pushed James Brown. And I think 
before Sly Stone, you know, it was like James Brown is doing this weird thing and nobody quite knew what to call it yet. And then you get some one-offs like Archie Bell and the Drells tighten up and some other pieces where people are are doing funk. Um, but Sly Stone, once Sly, Sly and the Family Stone come out, it is a form and it's clearly a whole new thing. And, you know, James Brown sets, invents it but Sly Stone takes it and runs with it. And so, you know, when you get a series like this and, and all Sly Stone gets is this one cameo in one episode where he is just serving as a drug casualty yeah. and a warning for Rick James is not heated. To me, that's really heavy. And apparently they wanted to do Sly Stone, but the music publishing was too difficult to acquire. So that's from the Nelson yeah. George interview you turned me on to. So I just I just wanted to bring that up that that, you know, they, they know Sly Stone exists. They wanted to cover him, but there were difficulties. And that and also, you know, Sly is still alive. He has been dealing with cocaine addiction for the past forty five years at this point. And so he's a very difficult character to deal with. And all Indeed, of his business. I, I can't affairs. even imagine. Yeah. I can't even imagine what it would be like to try and do this, you know, while Sly's still alive and with the reputation he has at this point. Uh, it would have been quite the undertaking. But I agree 100% that, that Sly and the Family Stone are just massive in this world. And I, in my mind, they sort of, you know, they sort of pioneered the sort of bigger, crazier, cartoonier sort of version of funk that really then Funkadelic took up and then, uh, you know, eventually Rick James, you know, took to such huge success. And it was sort of like a bigger sort of wackier sort of version of what James Brown was doing. It's sort of like a larger than life, you know, sound and yeah they really sort of took that turn and you know it's uh it's it's it, they were monumental no getting around it yeah i think i think sly's big contribution was that he took james brown's funk template and it wasn't like he was just imitating james brown i mean there were a lot of elements into it but he was very hip to what james brown was doing but he took that funk template and james brown was many things but he really was not a pop song stylist and sly stone showed that funk could serve as a framework in which you could do pop songs and great pop songs and and meaningful pop songs and and, and big statements like there's a riot going on you know album length statements so yeah i mean you can't understate the importance of sly stone nor can you understate the epicness of his story because it's such a reversal from you know a guy who deliberately set out to create a racially integrated sexually integrated band that was super positive and such an expression of the hopes of the late 60s and then turns into curdles even into such a negative embodiment of all the things that went wrong uh after that ideal brief idealistic period so yeah, yeah you know heavy story i hope hopefully someday if not mike judge somebody worthy you know i'm sure if nelson george uh would be perfect to be involved in a project like that so someday we'll get a slice stone documentary but i'm afraid it won't be until he passes so yeah that's 
that's our episode. Bootsy Collins, Tales from the Tour Bus, Season 2, Episode 4. And we'll be back uh, next time to talk about James Brown. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Facebook, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at LetItRollCast. Come back next Thursday as Nate and Justin will be back to talk more Tales from the Tour Bus Season 2 featuring James Brown. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to all the other great Pantheon podcasts at www.PantheonPodcasts.com. Tales from the Tour Bus can be viewed on Amazon.com if you subscribe to Cinemax. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.